Welcome everyone to another podcast from Shared Ireland. And today we will be continuing the discussion with two men who are not politicians, two men from civic society, shall I say, that should be well known to most of us on Twitter. The first one being Nigel Watson. Nigel, you're 53 and a Protestant from Ballymena. And the second gentleman is Fraser McClamond. You are 62, a Christian from Drumore. Welcome both. Hello. Um, would it be fair to say, gentlemen, that um, you would be open to the question of a new Ireland, but you would need to see some solid groundwork being put in place first? Well, I think that's absolutely right. Um, I suppose taking it back to 1998, when the Good Friday Agreement was signed, uh, for myself, I personally felt that Northern Ireland was settled for my lifetime. And... Lately, the, the Brexit situation, to my mind, has changed all of that. And clearly there are, um, I, th- I think there is clearly a, a case for looking at United Ireland as an option in the future. And maybe from my own perspective, perhaps, the emphasis would be on a, an economic point of view. Okay. Fraser, uh, thank you for that answer. Nigel? Yeah, probably... Probably sharing a lot of um, Fraser's um, Fraser's comments. So in '98, um, I'm old enough to remember um, the, the the referendum. Um, I cried whenever no, whenever it came through. Um, um, I never cried when my children were born, but I cried when that happens. And there was a sense of optimism. And everything else, for me, Brexit is part of it. Maybe it's crystallised it. But probably the bigger thing was the whole RHI debacle and the last slow 10-15 years of just decline into acrimony I mean nobody expected Northern Ireland to suddenly become a magical place, it was going to be perfect overnight mm-hmm. but some sense of we were moving towards being a normal place with normal politics that you discussed tax and spend, health policy, everything else rather than this endless going round and round and round and just more and more polarised politics Yeah. and if I go back to just something that Mike, Mike Nesbitt said back in 2017 is this as good as it gets? Mm-hmm. He asked that question. And for me, that was kind of... The answer was, you know what? I can't see any track. I'd love to be wrong. Genuinely, would love, love to be proved wrong. But I, I, I struggle to see any way that Northern Ireland is on a track to being a normal place. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah, probably the and, thing and, for me. I'm going back to what Nigel's talking about there. The, the 1998 agreement for me was, was a starting point. Yeah. And my hope yeah. was that... Um, the politicians would have developed positive working relationships over the, the, the last you know the last 20 years mm-hmm. and unfortunately that hasn't happened mm-hmm. and I think a great opportunity has been missed mm-hmm. certainly I suppose just before we get into the, the, the meat of things just to give a little bit of background on both your I suppose family upbringings would both your parents or family traditions come from a say pro-union background first of all Nigel yeah, I mean, so I'm a very conventional. <laughs> I'm a, you know, I was born in '66 in Ballymena, um, grew up. They weren't really political families. Suppose the politics was loosely speaking, you know, anybody but Paisley Senior. If I'm being honest with where we, with where we were, but it wasn't really a very political family. I was meant more into sport. That was my whole thing. Mm-hmm. And like I say, just a very very conventional family. You know, my, my grandfather, for instance, would have been back in the day would have signed the Covenant in 1912 okay. um, so you know it's very conventional liberal and inverted commas small I, unionist family I know this isn't a, a polite thing to ask anybody publicly but um, traditionally what party could I ask you what you have voted for oh, me, me personally um, or your family well, well, I suppose my family probably would be classic UUP stock you okay. know, we're, we're from a hockle yes. farming stock right there's nothing terribly conventional or unconventional yeah, about our yeah. family. Maybe a bit of alliance, but voting primarily yeah. UUP voters historically. A bit of alliance, but that would be the primary UUP would be the main thing. So. Okay, same question to you, if you wouldn't mind, Fraser. What kind of traditional political background did you or well, your family come from? My family would have had a, a long history in unionism at the turn of the, the 19th, 20th century. Okay. My great-grandfather was the second Lord Mayor of Belfast, and then my great-grandfather... Um, was a lieutenant colonel in the Royal Irish Rifles oh. and highly involved in the Loyal Orders and indeed he was uh, commander of the Port of Bell Barracks at the time of the 1916 Rising, but that's, okay. that's another story. Yes. 
but um, to cut it a long story short, my grandfather and my father, as far as I can remember, had really no political engagement whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I suppose my, my, my bringing up was pretty well neutral as far as yeah. politics was concerned. Yeah. In actual fact, um, I was in my mid-teens before I even knew what a Catholic was, and that's yeah. the sort of bubble that my parents brought me up right, in. Okay. And in some senses, thankfully. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Um, Fraser, you, um, I think, correct me if I'm wrong here, were you born in Zimbabwe? I was. Whenever my parents got married in 55, they emigrated to Rhodesia, as it was then. Oh. And uh, But they weren't out there terribly long, and they came back when I was a toddler, and I had no living memory of it. Right, okay, okay, no problem. Um, say, for example, guys, that we have got a, a new Ireland, a united Ireland, call it what we want. Would you re- support the retention of a Stormont? Or what way would you like to see a New <coughs> Ireland being shaped? Fraser? I think it's a difficult question to answer. And I think that has to be part of a conversation. I, I, I don't think one can sit down here at a table and say, well, Stormont has to be retained or Stormont has to go. Mm-hmm. I think there's a much wider debate to be held. In terms of all the socio-economic stuff and all the mm-hmm. <clears throat> those things that matter to everybody north and south, mm-hmm. there there are things that are wrong with the south uh, in, in, in terms of homelessness and their medical care and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. There are things that are wrong in this part of the world in terms of child poverty and and lack of opportunity for young people. Mm-hmm. So those those are all matters which go into the melting pot, and I think. How you administer that also goes into that melting pot as well. So that's yeah. got to be part of the conversation. Same question to you, Nigel. Yeah, for, for me personally, a lot of what Fraser's saying, I, I agree completely with. In terms of Stormont personally, I suppose part of it is if you just if you're going for, you know, Stormont carries on but with a new flag mm-hmm. uh, under under unification. I'm not really sure that's a big thing for me. Part of my appeal. Of looking, you know, you've an awful lot of things to say would have to happen and, and all the rest of it. But if you're if you're looking at in terms of what would the pitch be to someone like me, mm-hmm. part of the pitch would be actually you'd be involved in national politics. Mm-hmm. Ireland's only a country or a place of seven million people. Yeah. Do you need a parliament for two million people? I don't know. Could you do that with with the with the councils more beefed up with a bit more powers mm-hmm. there? Is that a better better way of doing that there? So my, my gut reaction is probably do away with Stormont. Mm-hmm. But maybe that's just a function of how badly it's been done. <laughs> I suppose it's, maybe it's more had to be thought through. You know, so my gut says one thing, but if you, you know, it, it's not something I have a very very fixed opinion on. But yeah, you know, it's 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 certainly a, a lot of things to consider. Okay, you just touched there, Nigel, on uh, a new flag, for example. Again, looking down the road, if we had the appetite was there for a new <coughs> Ireland, border poll was called. Um, the nationalist majority won, shall we say? Would we have to discuss a new anthem and a new flag? So, if you're, if you're asking me first, I don't know. When I, I'm, I find this really, it's a really, really tough conversation. It's probably a, a bigger conversation for people in the south. Yeah. To be honest. Yeah. Someone like me, when I look at the trickler, my gut reaction is I see the flag draped across bombers at funerals. That's my first, if you ask me, my first Very interesting. But if you're someone from Cork, you probably associate that with Jack Charlton, many happy memories. I'm sure you've got a few negative things around it, but you fundamentally you've got a... Or flying outside the European Parliament. You've got a massive array of positive connotations Mm -hmm. where for me... I don't have so many of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but having said that, if you look at, you know, I, I've been lucky to be abroad a bit. It's a different kind of thing when you're away. So I was in New York with work mm-hmm. a, a couple of weeks ago, and the trickler was at the top of the Empire State Building. Yeah, it was all lit up with a trickler. Yeah, and you have a massive body of goodwill around the world. That brand mm-hmm. for a very small place is a massive thing. Mm-hmm. Is that going to be thrown out? Especially when you think about, you've got the orange, you think about the original the original meaning of the flag. The meaning of the flag is the perfect flag, <clears throat> yeah. but I can understand... It's all the connotations yeah, around exactly. it that I've built over the last 30 yeah. years. So it's, it's a very difficult conversation, and, and the answer is I don't know the answer, but it's certainly a very, very... It's a serious conversation with good bits and bad bits on both sides. So yeah. I, I don't know, Fraser, what's Fraser? I, I think I agree with Nigel very much about that, because it, it's a very emotional thing. It is. And, and it's been able to 
separate the emotional argument yeah. from a dispassionate argument mm -hmm. about it. And, and I, I'm very aware of the, the origins yeah. of that, Tricola. Mm -hmm. And origins are well founded. Yeah. Yeah. But there's been so much trouble and, and <coughs> hardship and death and destruction down through yeah. the years and pain associated with it that I think it becomes a very, very difficult um, subject matter for those of a unionist disposition. Yeah, certainly. I, mean, you know, I was in, in a gym last night mm -hmm. and I was thinking about what we're going to be talking about today. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm from Ballymena. I wasn't affected. I've never had a family member was put was put in the box and all the rest mm -hmm. of it. But I was running on the treadmill and I saw a person who I knew from a long time ago. Her dad was killed mm -hmm. in the Troubles. You know, in 84, I could have joined the RUC. Lots of my friends well, did. I just got to mention that to you. Yeah, yeah. so I could have joined the RUC in 1984. When you, when you say cut off, did you go down the, the route of actually applying? And no, no, no. Well, no. So I was your archetypal, you know, middle-class Protestant boy. He probably wasn't bright enough for university. Did a bit of sports. You know, lo lots of my friends joined the RUC. I don't know why I didn't. Ended up went to university mm -hmm. and took a different path. Yeah. Her father did. Yes. And he's in a box. Yes. And yes. here's me talking in the abstract about all these things, mm -hmm. but there's this person running around in front of me and she live a very she's a, a lovely person all the rest of it yeah. but you know what's her feelings in all this yeah. here so it's easy for me to sit and talk about abstractions but there's somebody who's a much much more the people that were at the raw end of things so, unfortunately yeah. Yeah. yeah I just talk about the RUC I'd, I'd contemplated it myself one time just just an aside I suppose yeah but I went down as far as the police <laughs> station one day and I'm only five foot four and I walked in and the sergeant <laughs> behind the desk took one look at me and says <laughs> You've got to be kidding. <laughs> yeah. so. so that was your career put in the hold? It was. <laughs> Very good. Tell me this. Do you think the rise of English nationalism has jeopardised the Union in any way, Fraser? I do. Elaborate. Um, and, and, and there's more to this than meets the eye, I, I firmly believe. Um, and there's a whole discussion, I think, around democracy. I think democracy is, is broken to some extent. And if you even take it back to the referendum in 2016 mm -hmm. and I think it's something that's not focused on enough but in terms of the House of Commons, the House of Commons they, um, if you, if you <coughs> like is the sovereign end of the constitution if you like in the United Kingdom mm -hmm. and when David Cameron called out referendum I think he unwittingly did something he actually subverted democracy in the United Kingdom mm -hmm. and we now hear increasingly about um, um, democracy with the people and so on and so forth and that is, as that continues and, and as May has um, continued to single-mindedly put forward her deal mm -hmm. I think the whole process of democracy in the United Kingdom has been to some extent undermined and it has seen a rise in English nationalism mm -hmm. but I think that has also come in, in part because of devolution because there are elements within English society who really felt left out. When mm -hmm. Scotland got devolution, Wales got devolution, Northern Ireland got devolution. Yeah. And there are certain matters where they feel that MPs are coming from those other jurisdictions or having an impact on decisions in the place where they live. Correct. And they don't have the same um, as we have here. Yeah. yeah. Or have here. Nigel, what's your thoughts? Yeah, probably uh, share a lot of what Fraser's saying. But, you know, you, you look at the numbers. So Scotland is, what, five million people? Wales is three. Northern Ireland's just under two. That leaves 56 million people who are English. Yeah. So we can sometimes be disparaging about English nationalism. But, you know, it's not so unusual if you're in Bradford or in Sheffield and you're feeling your voice isn't heard and mm -hmm. all you see is everyone else getting more of, the, more of the pot and you're not getting very much of the pot, you can see how you maybe go, well, actually, we need a stronger voice for us. So, you know, in a certain way, it's completely understandable. Mm -hmm. But from a Northern Ireland perspective, and because that's my primary concern, it's hard to see how Brexit and that whole dynamic is good for Northern Ireland. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I'm from here. I've lived all my life here. I could have left when I was 19, 25, 35, 40, 45 and 50. I didn't. I've stayed here all my life. I love mm -hmm. the place, for, for better or for worse. I just can't see either Brexit or that new English nationalism being good for Northern Ireland. Yeah. And, you know, that, that's, that's you know, it's, it's, it's not even being critical. It's just, yeah. It just seems an obvious fact from Northern Ireland's perspective. It just doesn't look like a good thing. Okay. Just be interesting to hear both your thoughts on what's wrong with Stark? Why is it not working? And I suppose, who's to blame? <laughs> Fraser? Let's not get into the blame game. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I 
can't, can't get around going here at all. No, but you take it back to 1998. Um, I have great respect for those who put together that agreement back in 1998. Mm -hmm. And as we said earlier, we all had great hopes for Stormont. Um, the fundamental thing that hasn't worked in there um, is that people have not built up relationships in the way that we would all have hoped for. They have not built up trust with one another. And I, I think trust is key to it. Do you think that trust was built up when um, two people that unfortunately are no longer with us, Martin McGuinness and Ian Paisley Sr., were, in, were working in partnership? I think, or I came across, that there was a certain level of trust there built up. Yeah, well, even before that, I think with, with, with Trimble and Mallon, there was an element of trust building mm -hmm. up there as well. Yeah. Um, but I, I think certainly since the, the demise of those two individuals, um, things have gone backwards. Yeah. Um, and even when you when you when you listen to some of the the political commentary and the invective out there, I find it particularly unhelpful. And I I sense it's becoming more bigoted, more sectarian, um, and that disappoints me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but. There, there are structural things wrong with Stormont as well. Yeah. Um, I think the lack of an opposition actually is a, a serious issue. Yeah. But the, the petition of concern is another matter. Mm -hmm. um, and it was put there for a perfectly good reason. The misuse. But, but, but the experience of it has been misused. Yeah. And that of itself has undermined democracy in Northern mm -hmm. Ireland. Nigel? Yeah. <laughs> we vote for it. Mm -hmm. It's a reflection of us as a society. It's, yeah. it's, it's all very well blaming... <clears throat> You know, Arlene and all the rest of it, and you know, no one likes to bash the parties more than me. Mm -hmm. But fundamentally, we the people at every single election use it's 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 a headcount votes. You know, even take something take European elections historically. Mm -hmm. You can say what you like about UKIP or parties in France and all the rest of it. People use that as a way of giving a second. Maybe you voted Green. Mm -hmm. in, in Europe, maybe you voted UKIP, maybe mm -hmm. you voted in a different way than your conventional vote as a way of saying, yes, I'm Labour and Conservative, but I have these other other preferences. Mm -hmm. In Northern Ireland, every single election is basically a mini border poll or a headcount or whatever, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and that's fine, but there's consequences to that, mm -hmm. and we as a society have to co have to live with the consequences of those political decisions we make, yes. and you know, so. Yes, some of the points you make are completely true, uh, Fraser, but actually, we the people vote for it. And so in a certain way, in my perspective, we get kind of get what we vote for. Mm -hmm. well, to come back in, I, I think that's very true. Mm -hmm. um, and when you, when you also you reflect on the electorate, there's 40% of them do not engage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And in the past, I've been involved with politics and I've knocked doors. And sometimes when you go to the doors, the response you get would knock you back. Mm -hmm. I'm having nothing to do with any of you guys. Doesn't matter what political persuasion you are. Mm -hmm. People are completely switched off. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the real challenges for our political classes is to be able to re-engage with these people. Mm -hmm. Because the thing about that is those 40% of people, if they would just realise it, could actually change politics in this place for good. That's right. <coughs> what advice would you have to any unionist, uh, politician or nationalist for that matter? Um, what would you encourage them to do in today's society? How can we kind of get things back on the road again, Fraser? Well, it's, it's more than just a simple political thing. Um, I think you have to look at Northern Ireland in the, in the overall context. And we're at 1.8 million of a population. Um, but within that population, uh, we have a lot of um, deprivation. We have a lot of young people who lack opportunity mm -hmm. and you know we also have a, a large people who suffer from disability and and various things like that and th these are the socio-economic things that our politicians really need to be looking at um, as a priority mm -hmm. along with education and health and for, for myself I've been much more interested in, in hearing debates around those matters mm -hmm. Uh, about hearing positive policy matters um, and strategies, um, and not only the strategies, but how those strategies are going to be rolled out. Mm -hmm. We have we have an executive that established 12 criteria 
for its next programme of government back in 2016. Mm -hmm. All of those went out to the various statutory agencies and partners for consultation, mm -hmm. and that's where they all reside. Mm -hmm. So f for these last two years, nothing has happened. Back in 2012, some 355,000 people uh, lived in poverty. By, 20, by 2016, that had risen to 376,000. Mm -hmm. And there's um, nearly 23% of our young people, our children, live in poverty. And a fair percentage of that is people who are living in work in poverty. So whilst our unemployment rates um, may well be dropping, mm -hmm. the, the, the actual living conditions of our people are deteriorating. Mm -hmm. And that's where I would want to see our politicians, whether of a unionist disposition or a nationalist disposition or other, mm -hmm. put their heads together and come up with stuff that actually helps the well-being of the population. And that's, that would be my priority. Are our politicians doing enough, Nigel? Yeah, well, so Fraser probably comes from a further to the left on the spectrum than me. I'm probably a centre-right kind of person. But I suppose that's the point, is I'd love to be arguing with Fraser about that and, and having that as a national debate where actually that's the thing that determines do you vote for my worldview or Fraser's worldview or, or something else. Anyone who can create a structure or a place where the politics is around tax and spend, around all the things that, that Fraser talked about, around how you reform health in the North, in the South, very different challenges, but those are things, education, housing, all those rest. And we might have different solutions to that. Mm -hmm. But actually, having those as being the thing that determines how I vote, mm -hmm. rather than currently being just the, the headcount thing, every election is just another headcount. And it's kind of just, for me, I'm looking for a place that has normal politics. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm looking for a place that actually if you make a hash of a nice new shiny hospital in Dublin, mm -hmm. actually, that has consequences. No, no, <laughs> joking aside, um, it's not a very high bar. Yeah. That if you make a mess of something, yeah. you lose votes. Yeah. If you do something well, your vote goes up. Mm -hmm. And in Northern Ireland, I can't see any avenue to get to that state. And I wish I was wrong. I'd love to be proved wrong. So I suppose to my unionists, so politicians listening, is prove me wrong. Mm -hmm. I'd love to be proved wrong. Yeah. To a nationalist, I suppose the challenge is to say to Nigel, well, unification or something like it, whatever you want to call it, New Ireland, Shared Ireland, whatever you want to call it, we can offer a solution that meets your criteria. Mm -hmm. And that's really, for me personally, it's just some route to normal. Yeah. And that can be two steps forward, one step back, fits and starts. It's not all going to be smooth. It's not going to be an easy journey. We're not all naive idiots. Mm -hmm. But currently, I just think we're stuck in this... Just, we're just stuck with it. So would I be right in thinking what I hear coming from both of you is there needs to be a solid plan put in place. It needs to be debated yeah. amongst wide civic society, including all no. political parties. Uh, uh, ab absolutely, <coughs> and that, that, that's fundamental to moving forward. Yeah. You know, I, I, I do hear Mary Lou from Sinn Féin calling for a border poll now. Yeah. or in the immediate aftermath of a, a no-deal Brexit. Uh -huh. um, I disagree with that fundamentally. Funny, because and we're, we're not ready for it. In, in, um, in our last week's podcast, actually, um, we had an interview with Colin Eastwood, the SDLP leader, and Colin said, which I suppose many would agree with him, he says, do your homework, do it once, yeah. win it, and that's it. Forget about it then. Whether that be in five years, ten years, or fifteen years' time. No, and I, I think that's absolutely <coughs> the case. And it's, 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 a, it's a debate that needs to be taken forward by civic society mm -hmm. as well as the politicians. Yeah. And the politicians need to involve themselves in that willingly yeah. and, and, and engage with it in a very, very positive way. Yeah. Well, no but, doubt many of them will be listening to you two wise men today, so you'll hopefully kickstart that. <laughs> well, again, again, I'm not being disrespectful of anybody, but if it ends up being a Sinn Féin thing... And it ends up being a demographic thing of, <clears throat> oh, we can outbreed them, whatever, you know, joking aside that dem demographics will win for us. Yeah. Personally, that just seems doomed to failure. I have lots of Catholic friends who are middle class people who actually are very perfectly happy in Northern Ireland economically. Yeah, they, they may identify as being Irish, they have an Irish passport like me, but are they going to vote for unification? I don't think so. So demographics seems doomed to fail anyway. And... It looks like a core vote to mobilise a core vote for, for current elections, and that, that's fine. 
And for many people, yeah. if Sinn Féin are seen to be leading yeah. the, the pro-unity campaign, automatically that will put people off. And equally, yeah. if the DUP are seen to be opposed yeah. to it, without even mm-hmm. thinking about it, that will equally which, automatically... Which I think re-emphasises the importance of civic society in exactly. this debate. Yeah. Um, because I think, that's, I think that's where the debate really needs to be yeah. initiated. And the politicians come on board with that afterwards. Yeah. But civic society, I think, is the key. Yeah. And again, again, Fraser's right. I mean, civic society, but even then, if you see serious engagement from, from Fianna Fáil, from Fianna Gael, from Labour down south, whatever, then you'll know what's moved from being a you know, Sinn Féin core vote mobilisation thing to being a serious thing. That's right. And out of that then starts to become, what's the plan? Is it Stormont around anthems? But even then, you have a massive body of work to do to convince anybody that this is a viable plan. Again, looking at our, looking at the whole Brexit experience, you've got a situation that, yes, you might be able to win a referendum. Let's say you won 58-42 in a a unity referendum. Let's say just for talk's sake. Mm -hmm. But you haven't got the 48 at least bought into saying, well, I don't love it, but I can live with it. Tell me this, You've just got a you, massive problem there well, delivering that well, beyond the referendum. 58-42 or whatever. Yeah. I'm assuming both of you will be happy with the 50 plus one. Well, you see, there's a precedent now, and that makes it very, very difficult. <coughs> um, because with, with, with the referendum in the UK for Brexit, um, at that s- small margin... Yeah. Um, there will be those in the, in, the, in, the, in the political arena who will argue that 50 plus 1 should be sufficient. Mm-hmm. But if you, don't, if, you know, if you go for 51% and 49%, you don't bring that 49% with yeah. you. This is then, the big then, problem. Yeah. Then, yeah. then we're heading for a lot of trouble. Yeah. In an ideal world, yeah. we would want to win it, regardless yeah. of what side you're on, 75, 25 at least. I mean, I, you've, all, you've all kinds of scenarios here. You've got the worst, worst case scenario is that it's... You know, fifty-one forty-nine uh-huh. in the north, yeah. and the south says no. <laughs> no, no, joking aside, that, that's you know that's a perfectly viable yeah. outcome because there will have to be yeah. uh, dual referendums on the yeah, north and south with, with the same questions. So yeah, I, I travel quite a bit in my job, and again, I'm interested in politics, and, and in the south, people talk about it, and you know, I suppose I have unusual politics that engages people with, with, with just having a conversation about it. And actually, the thing that most people say is, it's not about the money. Or even the the all the changes and everything else that that's all doable. People are scared of you've got you know five hundred thousand, seven hundred thousand unhappy prods up north mm-hmm. kicking off mm-hmm. in a wee country. Mm-hmm. That's actually a real thing for southern voters. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you know so fifty point one. Of course it wins. That's that goes without saying. But it wins a referendum. You know, does it deliver? A shared Ireland. You know, go back to John Hume. I mean, does it deliver what you want, which is actually Correct. a peaceful, prosperous country going forward? Right. I'm not entirely sure it does, right. but you know, it's it's complicated. Uh, the word civic society was mentioned earlier um, in the conversation. There were either of you did you attend um, Ireland's future event in the Waterfront of Hall beyond Brexit recently? No, I did. You did, Fraser. Yes. And what did you take away from that? If anything, I went along with that with a degree of apprehension because clearly I'm a Protestant and I was heading off into this crowd of nationalists and Republicans <laughs> and absolutely no sense of what I was doing. Well, but I'm I, glad to see you survived. But, 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 well, I did, but I, personally, I had, a, I had a bit of a call in my heart to go and do it because I felt I should go and find out what's going on here. Yes, okay. Because that, for me, it's important to be informed uh-huh. about what people are thinking and what they're talking about. Yeah. And I can do that without any sense of fear. That doesn't bother me at, at all. Good. But when I went to that, um, I had no preconceived ideas of what was going to go on. But I have to say, it surprised me. In what way? And How, it, it surprised in a good me. Way or it, it, a surprised, bad way? it surprised me in a fairly positive way. Okay. And um, because I know there, there were a mix of moderate nationalists in there, people maybe not historically terribly engaged politically. Mm-hmm. There were people who were engaged politically from a moderate nationalist point of view. There were Republicans there. Green Party. Green Party was there. Claire, Claire Bailey spoke mm-hmm. from the platform. Yeah. Spoke very well on, on, on the issues on the left, Nigel. Yeah. So, um, but. Um, but I, I, I got a sense from that room, and actually I've written about it on, on Northern Slant, you probably noticed it, mm-hmm. but I, I had a real sense of a oneness, a single-minded determination, which I had not sensed with 
wider nationalism before. Okay. Um, but also a sense of generosity. Okay. I was quite welcome in that room, and that was positive for me. How were you made welcome, or how did you get that feeling? Well, do you know, simply the buzz of the room and the two individuals who were sitting on either side of me engaging with me. Right. And I really, really enjoyed that, and that was positive, and it made me feel good. Okay. Nigel? Um, I didn't go. I was away, unfortunately. Okay. Um, I would have gone. But you would have gone if I would have gone, but about, I was yeah. away. Um, I suppose, I mean, I, I can't say what the reaction was in the room, so it's, um, it's, it's a different conversation. To me, the thing is here is that on the nationalist side of the debate, is it perfect? Is it fits and starts? Is it you have the whole Commonwealth thing? You've got the flags thing. You've got the, the civic forum. There's a whole level of debate on Twitter and just a whole revel realm of, of, of things where people know they have to reach out to some the other tribe, the other group, whatever you want to call that. There was a lot of criticism within unionism on that and that's that's fine, you're talking uh -huh. to yourselves and blah yeah, blah yeah. blah. But actually for me I'm sat in the middle here. Mm -hmm. So I'm uh, open to the United Ireland or Shared Ireland proposition, but Actually, I'm open to if Northern Ireland could ever deliver mm -hmm. what I want. Mm -hmm. But I don't have any sense of unionism. It's not engaging with me, but engaging with that 25% in the middle, mm -hmm. somewhere, whatever you want to call it, that says, please, we want a different kind of future. Mm -hmm. They seem only focused on their that sort of battle between UUP voters and DUP voters for the next election. And there's nothing beyond that battle. So for me... I can't, if Fraser was there, it, it, it sounded very positive. I would compare and contrast the the efforts, not perfect, but fits and starts, and it's always going to have glitches. It's, it's Ireland, it's Northern Ireland. Mm -hmm. it's, it stands in stark contrast to the non-efforts from the side of unionism. Yeah, well, I, I, would to, I totally agree with Nigel. Um, th there doesn't seem to be something similar coming from unionism, wider unionism. Okay. Um, it doesn't have to be DUP or UUP specific. Yeah. But there just doesn't seem to be a willingness, even for that body of people, to come together and talk in a pragmatic way about how Northern Ireland might look in yeah. 5, 10, mm -hmm. 15 yeah. years. I, you know, I, I, my family come from a unionist background. I'm disassociated with unionism. I'm a Protestant in the North. But nothing has been sold to me. <coughs> Absolutely yeah. nothing. Mm. And yet... The corollary of that is that wider nationalism are starting to sell something to I, me. I suppose the way I, the message that I took out of that day at the waterfront was that nationalism had to have a conversation with itself first, yeah. right. and yeah. then yeah. broaden it out to yeah. talk to other sections of the community. Yeah, well, some 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 of the unions commentators were critical of it, as, yeah. as yeah. Nigel had mentioned. And they weren't there. Um, but the, the agenda that particular day was not an agenda for wider unionism in any shape or form, mm -hmm. uh, and it, it was it was a talk between nationalists and republicans and and those who were. Yeah. Which many would argue it's a pragmatic thing to do before you go out and have a wider debate. I well, suppose. I, I think for myself, I think it was a wholly sensible thing, and I think it was a it was a positive event of itself. And but I, I would like to see unionism respond in do a the same way. Yeah. yeah. Again, you know, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on, on Twitter, and again, maybe the, the, the criticism is going to come back at someone like, like me or Fraser from a more traditional unionist perspective is, oh, look, guys, you know, you're a bunch of middle-class guys. Unionism's got 45% as a core vote. People like you, you know, you have nice lives. Maybe you work for the public sector. Your kids went through grammar schools. Northern Ireland served you pretty well. You're not going to vote for unity. You're not gonna. You're a conservative people. You won't make that leap of faith. Mm. And maybe you know what? There's maybe a grain of truth in that. Mm -hmm. but that that breeds a complacency. And again, at a personal level, with the whole Brexit thing, mm -hmm. the most interesting thing for me was well, that my company, I work for a Spanish company, actually asked me about moving to to Dublin just okay. from a from a from a career perspective and from a job perspective. And I made you sort of, well, that, what, what, what would that look like? You know, yeah. so you know, it's near a bigger airport. Um, you know, what would what would affect me in terms of I actually start thinking well actually you know living somewhere in North Dublin near the airport would actually be a very nice life yeah and then you start thinking well hmm, it's not such a big leap to say if I can live down there and have a very nice life it's not such a big leap to say why wouldn't why wouldn't you bring down here up to the north yeah so I think complacency is unionism's biggest problem to address okay but that, that's for them to address.
Okay, moving on slightly, but keeping with the same theme. Both the views are open to being convinced by the United Ireland argument. But what sort of things would swing it for you? For example, in a recent interview with Mike Nesbitt, Mike said that it's up to nationalists to show and convince him and all our unionists alike that living in a new Ireland would work. So I suppose this could be a pretty long question for me, but what's important to you? For example, the protection of your identity and culture, the economic arguments, Northern Ireland society mirroring a more progressive liberal society in the South in terms of equality, etc. <coughs> Fraser, what, what do you need to see happen? I think first and foremost, um, people have to be accepted for who they are. Mm -hmm. um, we are a diverse people. Yes. We're not just unionists and republicans or nationalists. Um, we have many groups of immigrants who live amongst us, north and south. Um, but it's, it's, it's critical that each and every individual within society, whether that be up here in the north or in a united Ireland context, are indeed accepted for who they are. They're a person of value who have a contribution to making life and to this community. Mm -hmm. um, and they, they should be able to do so without fear um, or without criticism from those who are of a different background. Yeah. So that, that's, that's fundamental for me. I suppose it's, it's love your neighbour stuff for me yeah, as yeah. coming as a Christian. Just give you a wee chance to give your opinion on that and we'll come back to Fraser and Nigel. Yeah, okay. I'm not a religious person, but you know, I live in Northern Ireland, quite a religious place. So, for me, it's back to that whole thing of some vision of the place being normal. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to have a debate with Fraser around tax and spend. I imagine very different conclusions, but actually having that has been the centrepiece of that national debate. The whole, for me personally, I can't speak for anybody else, but the identity thing. So I've represented Great Britain in sport. I've represented Ireland in sport. I've represented Northern Ireland in sport. I'm probably a West Brit. I'm probably a posh Hibernian. I don't know what the latest <laughs> insult is for someone like me. But that, you well, know, maybe, I, it, maybe come up with a few new ones. Come up with some new ones, yeah. I'm not really, over, for me personally, the whole identity thing's not a big thing. I, I'm quite relaxed around that. I appreciate many aren't, so that's a thing for others. I... For me, when you get past all, you've got the pensions and you've got the health service and all the kind of the nitty gritty of how it works and the mm -hmm. mechanics. But the big appeal to someone like me is the idea that in an island of 7 million people, mm -hmm. your voice would be in a PR-based parliament in Doyle, whatever you want to call it. You're going to have being engaged in a proper debate around tax and spend, around health, around housing, around... You know, Ireland 2040, mm -hmm. where the investment goes on the island. Those are all fascinating things for me. And personally, I'm less about identity. I'm more about those other things around the politics. And that's, if I was saying to, to, to nationalism, what you want to sell to me is, personally for me, mm -hmm. I would focus on those things. But yeah, that's I, just me. I've got to yeah. ask very quickly, what sport? Um, athletics. Athletics, okay. But per personally, the, the identity thing for me too isn't that important. Mm -hmm. I would probably identify myself as an Irishman. Yeah. Um, I do not identify myself as unionist or nationalist yeah. or Republican. Uh -huh. and, and indeed, uh, uh, as I've written it in the public square, I don't need to identify with those. Yeah. Um, I am who I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, mercifully, I was brought up in that bubble we talked about previously. Um, and so. That, that's not that's not the critical thing for me. And Nigel has touched on what is important, what we want to see here, whether it's it's in Northern Ireland in the future, or whether it's in United Ireland or in New Ireland at mm -hmm. some point, yeah. is normal politics. Mm -hmm. That's what we want to see. Um, and where, where, where people's well-being is, is a main concern. Yeah. Tell me this, is this important to you? Like Mike gave a few examples, fair enough, some of them were tongue-in-cheek. He said, um, for example, when he draws the curtains, when he gets up out of bed in the morning and he looks outside, will he see a red post box or a green one? When when the police come to give some unlucky person a summons, will it be the PSNI or will it be a guard of Sikana? Are them things important to you? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> Personally, no. I mean, you know, but again... Fact of phrase, I mean, I have a I have a British passport, uh -huh. and I renew it. It's no problem. I have an Irish passport. My strongest identity probably is feeling from Northern Ireland. Mm, yeah. The whole 
again, the people do care about all those things, so I, I fully get that, I fully respect that. But for me personally, they're just not big things. Now, yeah. Maybe the day after they happen, I'll discover they actually are. I know what but you mean. But yeah. if you're asking me now, mm-hmm. they're just not, for me personally, they're just yeah. not important yeah. things. They're symbols, watch. Yeah. Okay. Guys, the, as we all know, the Good Friday Agreement was a landmark peace deal. But it lacked one key component. It didn't make any provisions on how to deal with our past. This is a very, I suppose, contentious subject to approach, but what's your feelings on legacy and how we deal with it? And a lot of people would say we can't move forward until we do heal the past. Fraser? I think the way the legacy matters have been handled over the last 20 years are a major disappointment. Um, and principally it's the way the politicians have handled it. Um, we did have Eames Bradley not long after the Good Friday Agreement um, and none of that transpired. But as, as time has gone on, um, a lot of stuff has festered and got worse and, and things have been revealed since. You know, <clears throat> Bloody Sunday we have Bally Murphy and all those sorts of things like that. So there's, there's absolutely no easy answer to this one. And there, there are people out there justifiably from all sides of the community who in their heart of hearts really want to see justice done mm-hmm. for loved ones who have been killed yeah. down through the years. And, and that's wholly understandable. Um, but at the same time as a community we need to find um, some mechanism for moving forward um, whereby we're not continually held back by this. Yeah. Uh, the British government have a, a big responsibility in bringing that forward I believe mm-hmm. um, I think they could do a lot they've held things back and there's no question about it mm-hmm. um, but people people need to either know that they're going to see justice done or if justice can't be done and I think in many many cases it won't be done that the authorities have the courage to tell them the truth mm-hmm. because yeah. then that will help to draw a line in the sand but perhaps somewhere down the line as a country as a nation we can look at a particular day in the year whereby we can commemorate these things, that we can remember the things that we have done to each other uh, in a pragmatic sort of way that allows us to move forward um, as, as one and in friendship. Nigel, same question but slightly different slant on it. How can we help heal the lingering wounds between the two communities in particular? I don't know. Okay. <clears throat> no, it's sometimes it's, I mean... So I'm, you know, I used to go on Talkback. I've gone on Nolan. I'm yeah. a regular. I, I, I'm involved in politics. We're here talking. It's just, it's kind of, I'm an Ian Bradley kind of guy because I suppose it's going to be some kind of, it's either going to be just rumbled on as a political football till everyone dies, mm-hmm. which is the kind of current strategy. People come onto the radio and they, one side says it's peace, the other side says it's peace, and then that's the end of the debate. Yeah. The answer is I don't know, and the answer is, you know, it's a very, very difficult thing. If it was easy, of course, to be a solution. I don't know what the solution is, but I have this feeling it's going to end up looking an awful lot like Eames Bradley or something like it. But honestly, I don't know. I said I'm really focused on the future kind of person, and but that's easy for me to say. I haven't got a loved one that's. I go to every Sunday to see in a, in a you know is in a box somewhere. Yeah. It's, it's, I just don't know. It's it's personally, I'm probably the wrong person to talk to. I don't know is the answer, and sometimes the right answer is I don't know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Fraser, should marching on both sides, the marching tradition that we seem obsessed with nearly, should it become a thing resigned to the history books as we try to move forward? I don't think we should force anybody to stop their cultural expression. Um, I think what we should do is try to encourage them (coughs) to change the tenor of that expression. Um, I went to school with Drew Nelson, who used to be the Grand Secretary of the Royal Lawrence Lodge, and he he had started to make the Orange Order events on the 12th of July very much a family affair and I think Drew was doing a good job at that and I think that's where the emphasis wants to be so it comes to a point 
in the future that things like the Orange events or Hibernian events or whatever they happen to be are something that visitors to this country can come to and enjoy mm-hmm. and maybe at some stage each of us can enjoy them mm-hmm. without fear or without sense of intimidation or mm-hmm. um, but I don't think we should terminate people's cultural expression no Nigel probably similar to Fraser I mean I'm not a member of the Orange Order I don't know anybody who is but I mean as a child I went to 11 fight bonfires uh-huh. um, they were in my, in my, this is back in the 70s now, in a hockel uh, up the country there. It was a bonfire, but it was kind of bigger than one you'd have seen in the field, but not mm-hmm. the things you have now. Mm-hmm. I went, my dad would have taken me down to see you know, the men arriving at the field, as mm-hmm. he put it. Yeah. I personally think that whole thing is kind of settling down itself. I, I think of all the things to worry about, but then that's me. I can't speak for people who are, who are cross about it. It just seems if we go back to drum Cree one, two, three, and where we are now, yeah. that seems to be naturally resolving itself. And it's, it's, it's a complicated one. Of all the things to address as a society, from my perspective, I can't mm-hmm. speak for anybody else, it seems to be one that's kind of naturally moving in the right direction. Yeah. Okay. You know, not perfectly two steps forward or one step back, but it mm-hmm. definitely seems to be making progress in the whole bonfires marching that whole thing and I appreciate I'm only asking your opinions here that's all you know so I think that's important just to reiterate that um, what's your thoughts on the Orange Order scene that you uh, mentioned it there both of you in your last comment should the Orange Order in your opinion change its hardline policies for example on members entering the Catholic Church recently in Scotland I believe they they, they made progressive yeah moves in that regard but here in the north well, I'm, I, like Nigel I'm not a member of the Orange Order and, and never have been uh, and I think that's very much a question for the Orange Order to answer I don't think that's one for me at all yeah Nigel? again my personal opinion is you know I, I think it's it's almost a if they were writing it from scratch would they write it now they mm-hmm. wouldn't but they got it round their necks there I'd imagine there's quite a few of them would rather it just go away. But as, as Fraser says, it's really, it's, it's not a big issue for me personally. It seems to be, again, it'll, the natural drift of, of things seems to be that they're, they're moving away from it anyway. So it's, okay. Yeah. Given the problems at Stormont, Westminster and with Brexit, how would you sell the benefits of the union to pro-unity voices? So I'm, I suppose what I'm really trying to do, do here is flip this question on its head. Um, and again, it's only I'm asking for your opinion. Is that sell me the benefits of the union, and we should stay where we are, and not even talk about the reunification of Ireland? Well, I, I think we're, we're we're going back to a question maybe you asked us earlier, and that really is going back to to unionism to some extent, mm-hmm. um, and their ability to come together and to produce. A plan or a strategy that goes into the future, and I suppose that's why I'm asking because you two gentlemen, coming from that kind of more unionism background, because w- w- without something like that, I'm having difficulty to answer that question for you. Yes. Well, no, again, it's a perfectly sensible question. <clears throat> if I was saying to them, you have a very strong um, suit in the NHS, and that's you'll be aware again one of the things that's put forward to people is oh the south the health service isn't as good you've got to pay a lot more money for it the nhs is great and in a certain way in a theory that's right but i'm on a i'm on a waiting list for for an operation on my knee Mm -hmm. and i've got three year waiting list or pay five thousand pounds to go private Mm -hmm. so i'm not sure you call that free so if you want to defend the union fix the nhs to be actually what it you know, so it does what it says on the tin, not just that it's a it's a great idea, but it has to work in practice. Okay. The second thing is, have an economy that's strong enough to keep our kids. I mean, I have three kids, two have gone to England, and, and, and one more might. Not because they hate Northern Ireland or anything yeah. like that. The economy's not strong enough. Yeah. So you've got to make the economy strong enough to retain mm-hmm. our kids. They'll mm-hmm. stay here out of choice. If they want to go into England as a, as a choice, that's fantastic. But actually, that not because they, they, they have to, because there aren't enough good jobs. So, in a sense, they've got all to lose. Uh, they've got to actually have the, the things they're selling it on of strong economy, <clears throat> good jobs in the public sector, and the NHS. All three of those are actually weak in reality. And that's their problem. They've got to address those actual weaknesses of the, of the thing they're selling. Fraser? Mm-hmm. Nigel touched on there two of his children have gone and that I identify with that I have three daughters 
and two of them have left the country and I know that those two will never come back. Mm -hmm. And again, that, that, that's down to lack of opportunity. Yeah. Um, and that, that's something that really needs to be addressed within this part of Ireland. Correct. Um, and, and our politicians really need to get engaged with that because there is a brain drain. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And as I say, two, two thirds of our kids are away. Yeah. 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 Okay, we're nearly there, folks. Final question. I'd like both of you to paint me a picture of your vision of an Ireland in 30 years' time. Fraser? I think an Ireland where we can all live together, accept one another for who we are, uh, in all our diversity, um, with no sense of fear, no sense of retribution coming from any quarter, a place which is economically successful, a place where people can do well, where they can set their sights high and work to achieve those um, and in terms of education, in terms of health and all of those things and where we can be one nation. Mm -hmm. Nigel? Yeah, well, I knew this question was coming up and in a certain way, I'd like the whole island to look a lot more like the Republic. Okay. And yeah, that, that's a challenge for unionism. <clears throat> Almost in a, in a nutshell, Forgetting the rights and wrongs of any given policy, could Leo Varadkar or Ruth Davidson be the leader of unionism? And if they could in 50, 20, 30, 40 years' time, the answer is in a certain way, whether the border is there, whether the border isn't there, from my perspective, that would be a place I'd like to live. And, you know, it's maybe counterintuitive, but, you know, that that's there's two people who I would say, if you want to have the North a successful, vibrant place that I would like to live in, uh -huh. if they were the leader of unionism, mm -hmm. or could be the leader of unionism, the island would be in a much, much better place. Almost whether there's a border or no border, we'd be in a far, far better place, and we'd have a shared Ireland we could all be proud of. Very good. Okay, gentlemen, really appreciate your time today in a somewhat unique podcast, but I hope I'll helps open up the debate for the normal man and woman on the street to get involved and to hear their thoughts and that we all can have an input into things as you rightly said as we move forward. We always like to ask one last question on a more light-hearted note to everyone before we finish the podcast and it's a very simple one. If you could be anyone alive or dead for one day who would it be but more importantly maybe why Fraser? I had to think about this one, um, and the one that's going to come to my mind is Jimmy Carter, oh, ex-president okay. ex ex of the United States, yeah. and a very, very simple reason. Mm -hmm. He was a man who got to office of greatness and power, and he made his own mistakes, but I think he did a reasonably good job at the end of the day. <coughs> but the thing that struck me about Jimmy Carter and strikes me even today is his humility. Mm -hmm. I, we can all read between the lines on that one. Fraser, great answer. I have a much more flippant answer, unfortunately. <laughs> I uh, would love to be Daley Thompson. Okay, yes, yeah, coming from your sporting background. I'd love to be Daley Thompson in 1984 in the Olympics in LA. I was 18 and he was my absolute, he was my hero. Yeah. And he was just cool as, it was yeah. as simple as that. Yeah. Sorry, it's not a very good answer, but I just love Daley Thompson. Hi. So That's why we asked the question to hear your answers. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time again uh, today. Um, we really hope that all our listeners enjoyed listening to this and we will hopefully hear more from you in the very near future. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Um, thanks very much. Thanks, William. Cheers. <laughs>